hello everyone. This is a data-driven Formula One and I have Patrick Hans with me here today. And uh, today we will talk about Nino Farina. So Nino Farina is the first champion uh, who won uh, the Formula One championship in 1950. And in, in some other years, <laughs> I have to say, but like, yeah, he was, uh, since, you know, you probably heard the 1950 analysis from us, you know, this is kind of the logical continuation of that. And today we're talking about Nina Farina. And yeah, again, I would like to introduce Patrick Hans, who is going to be discussing this uh, fantastic uh, figure with me today. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Gana. Thanks. Uh, happy to be back. And uh, I think uh, our general concept is doing one uh, podcast about the year and then take on uh, an interesting figure from that uh, season, which could be a driver, which could be uh, the team manager. Uh, I think uh, also it can be an engineer or I don't know, whoever we decides uh, uh, who it will be. And for this time, it will be Emilio Giuseppe Farina, uh, born October the 30 in 1906, mm -hmm. born in uh, Turin in the Kingdom of uh, Italy at that time. So really uh, a long time ago, in fact, uh, 114 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say that luckily for us, uh, what what you mentioned that the team principal, engineer, mechanic, and driver coincided <laughs> for many people. In uh, you know, you would be kind of your own uh, your own team lead, your own engineer, your your own driver back in the day. So now it, it that would be you know probably not uh, well. Driver is one person, but yeah, the rest <laughs> is normally there is large analytical team, there is large managerial team. Uh, there is large engineering team and all that but back in the day it was yeah just a handful of people and uh, the the person who drove the car actually played an instrumental role um, um, you know from uh, you know being a uh, yeah being a driver being a businessman uh, um, and uh, also an engineer and uh, sometimes even a data scientist so when we will talk about uh, Niki Lauda <laughs> you know, this guy was definitely someone who uh, who also incorporated data at every stage of his decision making. So, but today we're talking about Nina Farina. So, shall we look at uh, the brief um, summary of him? Of yeah. course. So, yeah, so this is Nina Farina. So you can see his picture. And uh, like Patrick mentioned, yeah, he's, uh, he was born on, in the 20th century. So we, um, uh, last time we discussed uh, Luigi Fagioli, who is kind of my favorite person from 1950 season. And uh, that guy was born in, in, the, in the 19th century. So Nina Farina is kind of the new, new wave guy. So he was born in 1906. But... Um, yeah, he was over 40, like Patrick has uh, um, nicely pointed out last time, he was over 40 when he competed in uh, the, uh, the 1950 season. He was 44, right, Patrick? Yeah, he won uh, uh, the age of 44, the 1915 Drivers' Championship. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing to know that you can see the death date, uh, he, he died very young and he died in a car. He actually yes. died in a car. So the, this guy was, yeah, the, obviously cars and racing was uh, his life. 
Also we will see. Yeah, but he, important, he not uh, he not died in a race. He tried in a normal street accident, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. But still, I mean that you know he. Uh, in, in, yeah, the, the, there was there was some aspects to that dress, to that driving, yeah. and uh, uh, yeah, I, I guess back in the day also we have to understand that driving was uh, very dangerous, even if you were just driving uh, a, a normal car. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he definitely, and we will see that he he was in quite a few collisions uh, throughout his career. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he even drove a car in a condition when he, he just was in an accident and he like the next day or something, he jumped or several hours later, he jumped into a car and then participated in a race. So in a sense, like, you know, he... Rem- uh, he reminds me <laughs> some of the um, some of the uh, cool uh, cycling champions, uh, ch- champions who kind of you know you could have whatever injury and then get on. Uh, so, for example, one of the one of um, uh, my friends is Mikaevs. So Mikaevs is uh, several times uh, world champion in cycling, and I know for a fact that several times uh, he would uh, have an injury, like he would break a leg or something, and the next day he. He would like jump on the bike and one and then and win a race. So so that was kind of I think also the um, the spirit back in the day, right? That you didn't kind of um, pay attention because if you don't race, you don't get sponsorship for next year, and basically, yeah, you just needed you had to do it, right? Yeah, and but also I think important uh, is the psychological uh, factor if you had a. Uh, a relevant accident, um, you have this fear uh, going back that it could uh, happen again. And uh, the longer the break, you're not uh, racing, maybe the bigger the fear gets. I mean, this is something which, uh, for example, Nick Lauda mm-hmm. explained uh, after his uh, infamous uh, fire accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and for some people, yeah, indeed, that was a deal breaker. So we will talk about several people, I mean, down the line that actually quit as a result of, of this, um, as a result of an accident, but not Nina Farina. <laughs> Nina Farina was, uh, was a character that basically, yeah, raced <laughs> no matter what. Um, and uh, yeah, he was a he was a very decorated uh, champion in uh, in um, Formula One, right? So he uh, he basically won. Uh, so his uh, his uh, first win was in 1950. His last win was in 1953, right? In German Grand Prix. Uh, so that's that's the win. Sorry, that's, sorry. His last win was in 1953, and his last entry was in 1956. So, uh, so yeah. So he was quite a, you know, uh, he he was driving for quite a long time, especially by the standards of 1950s, when you had probably, you know, people competing for a few years, and you had a very quick exit normally, right? Exactly, and the last entry, 1956, uh, was uh, Indiana, sorry, Indianapolis 500, and which is will be an interesting story for the 56 uh, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, one important point which uh, we have here on our slide is uh, education. So uh, you, you said Farina uh, was a person uh, who ignored his accident uh, and. Uh, just uh, jumped again into the car and uh, drove again, mm-hmm. but uh, 
uh, attention. He was not, uh, this was not uh, based, let's say, on stupidity or ignorance. In fact, uh, uh, he was uh, the correct uh, doctor of Farina. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know uh, your sources. Uh, it's a little bit questionable where he had his doctor title. Uh, it seems uh, mostly saying uh, political science, but there are also other sources. He said uh, he had a doctor in engineering. So I'm not uh, completely sure about this point, but uh, he's, he had a doctor title. So he mm -hmm. was, uh, he, he not only uh, came from a quite uh, upper, medium upper class uh, family, uh, uh, but also he had uh, education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And um, another thing, I guess, that we, um, we need to mention about Nina Farina is not only did he put his own life in danger, but he was also like by some, by some, especially by some critics of Nina Farina, uh, you know, he is normally regarded as a person who put uh, other people's lives in danger, right? He was uh, involved in, in the early career, he was involved in two uh, fatal accidents for other people. Uh, died uh, and uh, you know he was basically yeah he he was a very competitive guy uh, we have to understand I mean we're not uh, trying to judge him I just want to say we're not trying to judge Nina Farina we really respect him for, for, for who he was but uh, we also yeah but it has to be noted that you know it was not this kind of calculable it was not this kind of calculated uh, um, a risk person who, you know, would think, you know, okay, so will it hurt other people? Will I put myself and other people in danger if I do this? You know, he, he was basically the kind of guy who was like, yeah, I, I want to win. <laughs> so at least, at least uh, this is uh, what, what he appears like from, from what we know about his career. And uh, so definitely that is um, something that we need to keep in mind when we... Um, when we talk about him, right? And uh, yeah, uh, and like uh, we mentioned before, yeah, he obviously was also in uh, uh, several uh, collisions uh, when he was injured. He was injured. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So and uh, yeah, he he had a very uh, oh, yeah very very bright career in racing. Yeah, yeah, and he was uh, an Italian champion for for three seasons, and he was also um, the Formula One champion in 1950. Yeah. And uh, one important point, uh, which uh, also we want to mention, maybe one of our spectators, listeners, may uh, think that Farina, the name sounds uh, familiar. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was the, the son of uh, Giovanni Carlo Farina. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and uh, this was the founder of uh, a coach builder uh, company, a small one, Stablimente Farina. Not to be uh, mixed up uh, with his uh, brother, um, so, um, who was Batista Farina, the founder of uh, Pinning Farina. The company still famous uh, today, which designed very of the ironic, uh, uh, sorry, ironic, uh, iconic uh, Ferrari models. Uh, mm -hmm. So it uh, came really from a, a quite uh, a famous automobile affine um, family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he also had this uh, this this heritage and. Uh, 
Yeah, he. Um, I think uh, the notable win, like the first notable win, was of course the Silverstone in 1950. I mean, apart from you know um, uh, Italian championships, where he basically yeah he emerged of because we had Fangio who was already a known driver, but yeah in 1950 we actually in Formula One competition we actually saw Nina Farina, and um, yeah I mean uh, there were also some. Um, uh, yeah, so I think uh, in, in that season, he really shined in terms of, uh, you know, c- competing in Formula One. But yeah, he continued. And uh, at one point, he even uh, was uh, acting as a team principal, right, uh, of Alfa Romeo. And at, uh, at the later season, was that in 1956? Or am I? Uh, <laughs> I don't oh, Ferrari. Remember. Oh, sorry, Ferrari, 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 yes. I mean, he was the number one uh, driver at uh, Ferrari later on. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, maybe I'm uh, I'm confusing that. Sorry, yeah, yeah, but I mean, he was definitely, um, yeah, he 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 uh, after 1950 season he switched to Ferrari and uh, even drove uh, this Lancia car in 1955, uh, which was also a very interesting part of his career. But yeah, I mean, essentially he was uh, he tried uh, many different options uh, to be fast. <laughs> Yes, and yeah. uh, especially, I mean, the, the Lancia, the uh, D50, uh, the, uh, I'm sure we will uh, speak, uh, of course, uh, in detail about uh, this, uh, as he was uh, um, the colleague with Alberto uh, Ascari, and later this particular Lancia became the 56 Ferrari. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, so I guess, uh, yeah, um, I mean, we talked uh, quite a lot about 1950 season, so do we want to maybe take it season by season and uh, or just uh, discuss over kind of his overall <laughs> performance? Uh, he, well, uh, I would speak, let's say, more about uh, in general <coughs> the behavior. Is... Yeah, 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 let's, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So... Um, yeah, so, so so in terms of yeah, him as a driver, what do you think was the, the most important thing about him? Maybe from a today's point of view, uh, uh, he, he may be a little bit uh, forgotten uh, as, uh, as we had more um, iconic uh, characters at, in the 1950s as uh, Fancho, of course, as uh, Alberto, uh, Ascari, but ne- but nevertheless, uh, I mean, uh, he bet uh, in 1915 uh, Fancho uh, with an identical uh, car, and uh, uh, as uh, you said, uh, Fancho at that time was uh, was um, uh, like 10 years younger, but nevertheless, he was already an experienced, and very strong driver, and it ha- you need really a talent uh, um, to beat such a, a driver. So really. Fun, um, Farina uh, was uh, a very strong driver and uh, by the way uh, he learned uh, from one of the best uh, Tazio Nuvolari who for many uh, also is one of the best drivers of uh, all times uh, for example maybe we do someday a special edition as it was much before the 1950s 
Uh, yeah, people will hate us for this because like if we name our like favorites, then they will have their own favorites. So, so yeah, yeah. Like in terms of Hall of Fame, I think that would be very challenging. <laughs> but we can try. We can try. Yeah, we can try. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but let's say uh, Nuvolari was famous for winning uh, the famous uh, Nürburgring race uh, what, uh, against the uh, uh, strong German competitors in the uh, time of the Nazi uh, regime, uh, so a very political race and what they called later the impossible uh, race. So uh, this uh, Tarsio Nuvolari was one of Farina's uh, um, uh, uh, teachers and so he uh, really uh, not only entered because uh, he had the money to buy in the beginning uh, a race car, but he really had very good uh, teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 that's right. And uh, yeah, like we said uh, before, I think that to me, he was a, yeah, he was a real risk taker. And uh, sometimes that was, uh, yeah, I already mentioned uh, several deadly collisions but we also know that in 1953 the argentinian grand prix was fatal for spectators when he drove into a crowd basically yeah so he i believe uh, that uh, juan peron uh, was the president of argentina at the time and uh, he allowed a free entry into the uh, i don't know race racing uh, corners right and uh, there was a crowd uh, standing basically at one of the corners and uh, Farina had to take an exit from uh, like a, a kind of a dangerous um, turn at the time. And yeah, he basically crashed into spectators and he killed seven people. Yeah, and uh, several, like uh, several, also got major injuries. Of course, it's not was it was not only his fault um because you know it was the, the the way the race was organized right so the organizers didn't didn't take appropriate precautions but you also could tell that you know that this is the person we <laughs> were talking about he basically um uh you know had to take this so at, at an expense of you know other human life he would still he would still do it um, so he, yeah. he, he took that decision. That was an unfortunate decision, but uh, he took it. He, he, uh, he actually drove into the crowd at one point. And I mean, um, to, to add here, uh, I mean, I don't know if there's any uh, TV material uh, existing about that race, but you remember if you see uh, the rally championships, maybe in the 1980s, the crowd, uh, they, they had not been separated. They, Especially in, in rally, you see that the, some people they even uh, they have been like one meter away from the race cars driving these 200 kilometers. Sometimes they they still have been uh, standing before the cars when they're coming to take a to take a good photo. So uh, so it was not only that uh, the drivers taking the risk, but a lot of the spectators they also take uh, took uh, yeah, very high risk of being to be near the, the race, to, to feel the race, take photos. Uh, so this is something which we, which we saw, I think, until the 1980s, especially uh, in um, the rally sports. Uh, as, uh, I mean, when, uh, when I think it's not the idea to become a political uh, podcast. Uh, uh, just to mention uh, Juan Perón, a uh, famous uh, uh, outside Argentina, uh, more famous be, had been his uh, wife, 
uh, Evita, of course, um, mm -hmm. uh, Juan, um, but also uh, Evita, they, they had been fans of uh, Italian cars. Cars, yeah, yeah that's right, famously, <laughs> famously. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, uh, Juan had uh, some uh, very nice uh, Ferraris, uh, for example. And uh, similar to, to the rulers uh, in uh, Europe, uh, the dictators, he saw, uh, he saw mm. racing as one, um, one way to uh, demonstrate uh, superiority uh, of the country. So mm -hmm. that's why uh, Juan Perón was also quite keen on organizing such events in Argentina. Yeah, I mean, um, I understand now my, uh, I'm just looking at my notes, right, now peeping into my notes, and yeah, I, what I meant, uh, the, the, of course, that he didn't become the team lead, but he became the leading, leading driver, right, in Ferrari, when Ascari uh, left the team in 1954, so that's what I meant, yeah, so then he, he basically took the leading, kind of leading seat in the team. Um, and yeah, I mean, that season, the 1954 season is very important because there were several major crashes for him, right? And um, uh, in um, basically Syracuse Grand Prix, right? Even he basically uh, crashed pretty heavily. And then he also was in uh, the, the faulty car in Belgian Grand Prix when Ignition uh, um, failed on a Ferrari uh, in Belgian Grand Prix in 1954. And then um, actually his largest injury, he didn't get in, in a Formula One race. <laughs> he was racing Super, super Conte Maggiore Grand Prix, which is kind of a sports car race. Is that, uh, can we say that that's kind of in, equivalent to Indy uh, more uh, I mean, yeah, but that was not a formula. The, 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 the thing is, like, it was not the, the yeah. Formula One race. It was kind of like a quote-unquote regular, regular car race. Um, yeah, it's a sports car race uh, in Monza. And, um, yeah, he basically was badly injured in that race. And he spent uh, about 20 days in the hospital. So it was like almost a month in the hospital. And the important part was that in 1955, um, he actually started the season uh, when he was basically taking very, very serious painkillers, like morphine injections. Uh, but he nevertheless was in the driving seat that time right um yeah so that's another thing like he he during the 1954 he was in quite a few of these uh, very very uh uh serious collisions and in 1955 he was yeah taking medication to 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 drive so but he nevertheless didn't stop exactly yeah 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 um, yeah, I guess uh, we probably, um, unless uh, Patrick, do, if, unless you want to add something else about the, ra the racing yes, seasons, uh, we, we, yes. could, we could also skip ahead to his uh, death, like how well, he died. Uh, but yeah. I would uh, like to shortly mention 1950. Yeah, 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 yeah go ahead. Uh, as this is, uh, I think, an interesting chapter. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, he was uh, taking um, uh, morphine. Uh, because of his pains and due to this, uh, he could not uh, return to Formula One in uh, 1956. Um, so he was out of contract and uh, I, mean, also, I mean, also based on his age, he was uh, already 
uh, a little bit too old for this uh, regular Formula One. Uh, nevertheless, um, as we discussed in our earlier uh, podcast, um, the US had been an interesting um, market for European manufacturers, so they thought uh, how, how to market their uh, portfolio uh, in the US. And of course, uh, now in 1956, we have Indianapolis as one of the uh, world's most uh, famous uh, races. I mean, you have the triangle, the Formula One Grand Prix of Monaco, the 24 uh, hours of um, Le Mans and the Indy 500. So uh, Ferrari at various points uh, in time uh, wanted to see uh, how to participate in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, this for the one reason to market the cars on the important market. And also uh, Enzo Ferrari, he was always a very stubborn uh, character. So many, many times uh, he was in disagreement with the fear and uh, was was uh, seeing the opportunity to leave Formula One to join Indy Race. I think it was not, he never really wanted to leave, he just wanted to show I could leave yeah. if I wanted to leave and with this, uh, use this for the migrations of the contracts. Yeah, but also uh, I think it was the dominance, right? It, 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 it's also, it was, um, I feel that there was quite a lot of rivalry between um, um, Italian car makers and, and American car makers back in the day where Italian car makers were basically showing that oh, we can produce this really yes. elite high speed uh, cool cars and yes. they're so superior to anything like we, we know this uh, famous story with Ford versus Ferrari that we now have a movie about it I think yeah so so it's uh, it's all it's I think it's all, it's also that but what I I'm uh, I was really surprised to find out to be honest like in preparation for this, I didn't realize that, that um, in uh, 1956, uh, this Indian, Indianapolis 500, the Ferrari actually installed Curtis Craft chassis on the car. That was a surprise because I thought that they actually would race their own chass chassis. Is that because uh, it was challenging to transport the car over to, to the States, I, I, so they had I to take the local? I don't know why uh, in this particular race because later mm -hmm. on they they use their own uh, chassis. Chassis, yeah, it's very very unusual. I was uh, I was yes, very surprised. But, <laughs> yes, but let's say uh, for Enzo Ferrari, I mean, it was always about uh, the um, engine, uh, and I mean, he famously once said, "I'm married uh, with the twelve-cylinder engine." Uh, so. For Ferrari, the, the chassis was never that important. He just, uh, he, he, once he said, uh, I'm selling engine and I'm, I'm putting it in, uh, inside a car just uh, to sell it. So for him, important was the focus on, on the engine and maybe for technical reasons, as the Cortis chassis was uh, uh, quite experienced uh, solution, uh, it was the best uh, idea to do it in that way. I mean, later Ferrari tried to uh, uh, to uh, construct uh, the whole car. Uh, there has been uh, two uh, att attempts later, uh, mm -hmm. one uh, with Ascari and one in later on, which never had been realized, was at the end of the 90s. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and um, also I think um, so. Here, the, the the important thing about 1956 season as well is that uh, you know not only like there was this uh, Curtis Craft chassis, but also mm-hmm. Farino actually didn't qualify for in yes. for Indianapolis 500. And uh, we need to explain why that was because like it probably sounds <laughs> sounds incredible, but back in the day, yeah, you need to actually you needed to participate in qualifying to to qualify for the race and the problem was that qualifying was on uh, over several days and uh, back in the day it was on I think four four days Uh, uh, and the reason for that was that it was raining uh, that 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 uh, um, uh, during the qualifying so um, actually yeah so because it was heavy heavy rain um, yeah, there was very, it was very difficult to actually have all the drivers at the same time. So you needed to kind of run it in shifts uh, because you didn't want to man- damage the cars during qualifying. That would be, that would be horrible. And uh, yeah, that also meant that if you also chose to wait uh, until the, you know, the weather got better or for whatever reason, then you could potentially not qualify. And then, you know, um, yeah, so the, in the end, uh, I think, uh, you know, there was, uh, yeah, basically on the fourth day, there were just very few places <laughs> to, to for the qualifying because the weather did not approve and uh, ultimately Farina did not qualify for that race. Yeah. And uh, um, and then in 1957, I believe he's, he tried to enter, right? Um, yes. Um, 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 but uh, so it was not already not the Formula One race racing, but it was IndyCar. Um, but again, he he just found it very, I think, challenging to to drive. I, I guess it's a combination of age and you know the health problems that he was having. And, uh, and ultimately, I think uh, Keith Andrews, uh, who was his teammate at the time, he actually uh, had to finish <laughs> the, the, the competition for him. Uh, and um, yeah, but he also tragically died that season, right? He was crushed to death between yeah, cow and fuel tank. So there was, the, like I said before, and like Patrick mentioned before, and uh, he basically... Yes, he, even, uh, he even died in that particular Indianapolis 500. Yeah, yeah, he was in exactly in Indianapolis race in 1957. So that's what I mean. And uh, yeah, so that was also, I mean some of the um uh, you know some of the realities of uh, of the times so you 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 actually uh, you know we actually think now okay well you know that that uh, yes of course formula 1 cars and indy cars are, this is dangerous but uh, you know the probability of dying is pretty low but back in the day, you know, anything could happen and, you know, and mechanical faults, engineering faults could result in this really bad, uh, you know, not on top of collisions and everything else that could happen. Um, so that, that posed a serious risk for the, you know, for, 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 for life uh, of, of, the, uh, of the drivers. Yeah, so and then basically after this 1957 attempt, I, th- I believe he retired, right? Pretty much he, yeah, he didn't uh, do competitive driving after 1957. 
And um, yeah, but um, uh, he actually died, even though like uh, like Patrick said, he didn't die in the, in the race. <laughs> he was on the way to the French Grand Prix in 1966 when he yeah. when he uh, when he died, and he lost control. He had a, a beautiful car. This is Lotus Cortina, a fantastic, also fantastic piece of engineering. So he was in. Um, um, in this car and then he basically somehow like I don't think we know why that happened but he yeah mm-hmm. he basically lost I don't know maybe Patrick maybe you know more but no, yeah he, he hit it all I know that he hit a telegraph pole that's all I that's all I know but I it was was, uh, was better condition okay it's quite curious that he drove a Lotus Cortina because after he finished his career, he still stayed uh, involved uh, with uh, Alfa Romeo uh, as he had yeah. a distributorship. Uh, I mean, he worked at uh, his, his uncle uh, Batista's uh, Pininfarina factory, but also had, so, but also he had uh, um, a relation to British uh, manufacturers as he had a distributorship of uh, Jaguar. So I don't yeah. know if. Uh, the Lotus at that time was somehow related to Jaguar. Um, so we will obviously talk about this when we will talk about the, the 60s and 70s. But I mean, to me, also Lotus cars, you know, um, uh, let's just curb uh, the, the, the argument about the road car. A high performance road car, high performance car. But when we talk about Formula One, Lotus is a very special team. Um, I absolutely admire uh, the engineering thought, and um, because this was a team that came, um, you know, in um, particularly if we look at 1970s, came and uh, managed to beat uh, the the elders there, right? And, uh, McLaren and Ferrari were already very very well-established teams at the time. And uh, if we look at Lotus cars, they managed to completely <laughs> overtake the entire competition. And my take on this, again, I, I don't know whether many people agree uh, and whether you would agree with me, Patrick. It was ma- mainly, I think, because they had really brilliant technology behind, uh, you know, behind the cars. And maybe that's that's why, you know, that's another reason why we have uh, the the fastest guy on the, one of the fastest guys on the planet, uh, you know, driving <laughs> driving one of the fastest cars and probably a very good piece of engineering. But yeah, I mean, it is it is ironic that it was not an Italian make. Um, and it was a lot of scar, and we, we indeed need to look into, you know, what what uh, what were the relationships between uh, the. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he had a Jaguar distributorship, distributorship, so maybe it's via Jaguar, but I'm not sure if Lotus had been related to Jaguar. I think not, but honestly, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, not yeah, not that I I I know about that either. But we will, like I said, when we look at uh, at kind of later seasons, we will find out. Okay, so we talked uh, quite a lot about technology. Um, yeah, so I guess we could go to the next rubric now, and um, um, yeah, that's behavior, behavior, and yeah, I think we we pretty much covered that as well. But 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 yeah, I think um, yeah, in terms of um, yeah, like I said, in terms of character, this was kind of this completely unstoppable guy. 
um, and uh, nothing stopped him, not his uh, uh, like personal injuries, uh, not injuries of others, uh, not even uh, you know in, in being involved in a fatal um, a fatal collisions uh, where other people died and even spectators died. Um, so that didn't stop him. I mean, I guess, um, I guess that also shows you that determination and uh, how, you know, um, how important uh, this was for him, right? So not everybody after crashing into a crowd would, would actually get back. Like psychologically, you had to be very strong, I think, to, to be able to do that. And uh, I guess it also shows you the level of abstraction um, in the sense that you know there is uh, there is reality of racing and there is reality of life and i think uh, he probably was uh, really keeping these two worlds really separate because you know there's anything could happen in a race um but you know in uh, in his private life like you said he was a very educated person and uh, you know high, highly decorated guy in terms of uh, racing career very popular um, and you know, so all of these, um, uh, all of these things basically tell you how he managed to separate the two, like the two things psychologically, so that he could actually continue racing until pretty much um, he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't literally get into the car and uh, uh, and do it anymore. And he probably, you know, already, you know, the, there was uh, such, uh, an, you know, age, uh, he was in such age that, that he decided that, okay, well, you know, maybe this is, a, this is time for me to retire. But it, actually, you know, the fact that he, he died on the way to the, to, to, um, to a racing circuit also tells you that he didn't kind of leave his uh, his passion uh, even after that and he was uh, and uh, you know he was a fan of the sport and he would go to the races um, because I think uh, you know very few like if you think about uh, you know professional professional athletes for example they professional sports people they very rarely unless only only if they invited probably attend uh, you know competitions and uh, you know to see that level of involvement and uh, dedication is uh, I think is is very rare. Yeah. Yeah, I can. Uh... I mean, you, you can say uh, he was a classical uh, racer, uh, so somebody who lived uh, for racing. Uh, he was uh, he was uh, highly uh, talented. Uh, um, um, as, as we uh, spoke shortly in the last uh, podcast, I think uh, he was uh, still part uh, of the gentleman's driver who bought their first car. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, had been able uh, to uh, to be part of a professional uh, race team while uh, bringing in not only themselves as a driver but also um, the car. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, uh, Alfa Romeo. They, they at that time they had the big uh, Scuderia Ferrari as uh, as he worked for the company. But uh, so and this time they had the professional drivers which uh, received the cars from the company, but also they had been uh, a group of uh, gentlemen's drivers uh, who had been part of this same team, but they had to bring in their uh, own uh, car. 
but this doesn't mean uh, that the gentleman's driver they only had been part because of the money some of them had been uh, highly um, highly skilled and uh, this uh, is uh, i think true for um, nino uh, farina yeah yeah we will talk about uh, at, um, at the later stage about the guys who basically made their own cars um, and um, you know to me like one of these guys is of course williams like we will talk about williams team team in detail but like you you know the amount of like um uh, innovative thinking in a very constrained environment that that uh, these guys showed that it was absolutely incredible and uh, yeah some of yeah some of them of course you know that they had to um, you know if you don't find sponsorship you had you had to be very very innovative and uh, yeah I guess that's that's also part of this journey like you have to understand um, uh, um, during each race what is needed what changes are needed uh, to be made and uh, that was a very important part of this journey yeah exactly and as you said i mean uh, he was uh, very hard inside the race uh, but a gentleman outside the race something which uh, you may observe uh, up to uh, in, in extreme i think with ayrton senna as uh, he was not only a gentleman, he was uh, highly religious, but uh, his partner, Gerhard Berger, once said, uh, in one moment, uh, he uh, explains you the Bible, and the uh, next moment, he drives over your head. So this is something <laughs> which we see right from the beginning uh, uh, up to modern times, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so I guess that's uh, that kind of uh, takes care of behavior. And um, um, I mean, uh, we normally, Patrick and I, uh, find uh, different uh, legacy phrases uh, for the uh, for the end of the of the, the the video. But uh, this time, Patrick found a, a genius quote by Enzo Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought. Uh, one important point in uh, in work is you you don't have to invite uh, the wheel every time, uh, but uh, there's a lot of uh, data. Uh, and I mean, this is what our uh, podcast is about. So you find data, information, knowledge from other people. So uh, I thought Enzo Farai resumed it uh, quite good. He, as he said, uh, a man of steel inside and out, uh, but I could uh, never help feeling apprehensive about him. He was like a highest young uh, thoroughbred, capable of committing the most astonishing follies. As a consequence, he was a regular uh, image of the hospital wards. So I, I think exactly what we all uh, covered, uh, speaking about his behavior. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is a uh, kind of. Um... Um, uh, like a bit of a hybrid between uh, a, a bad boy and uh, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and a highly determined champion. Yeah, so definitely. And uh, yeah, quite a, like we said, quite a controversial figure, uh, you know. Um, but at the same time, I think um, uh, what you, what we will talk about some of the drivers who would do anything to win. Uh, you know, you could say kind of... Uh, you could say about Nino Farina that uh, like some people would believe that he would do anything to win, but um, I think that's not entirely correct. I think he still like there was uh, 
this this like I said this kind of gentlemanly um, uh, uh, side of him. But at the same time, yes, I think there was uh, a separation between a kind of a separate. He could really separate this this kind of uh, Nino Farina in 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 real life and Nino Farina in racing. And in racing, he probably was a completely unstoppable person who would do anything to win. But, you know, in other circumstances, like, you know, he was, like we said, very successful in um, finding sponsorships, very successful in uh, uh, making the right connections to become the lead driver for Ferrari team. That that takes, uh, it, it is a very, very uh, difficult uh, field <laughs> to negotiate so you need to possess certain uh, uh, you know features of character uh, so you need to um, be very good communicator you need to be not you know very not just very good in what you do but also you need to be able to um convince people and i think convincing Enzo ferrari was probably a very difficult job <laughs> but yeah. but but you know he managed to do that he managed to do this you know he he took opportunities when they were there and he actually managed to yeah i mean we could admire him for for uh, his determination and getting back into the car after you know being in in these really horrible collisions but at the same time we kind of uh, could look at him as a very controversial and quite scary figure for the fact that you know over you know over you know uh, uh, racing like during the racing he could easily kind of sacrifice um, lives of other human beings, but he was putting his life in danger as well. Uh, we need to understand that it was not like he was just trying to kill everybody else off to to win. So that's I think the important part. Yes, uh, uh, I agree, but I, I don't know if it was that completely different um, mm. to other drivers at uh, that time, as uh, maybe all of them had been aware that it's very dangerous. Yeah, they were a bit crazy. <laughs> Not only for them, but uh, uh, also for spectators, for example. So, uh, I mean, may maybe, and, and I mean, here we are speaking uh, completely speculative as um, we don't know, cannot uh, notice, of course, but maybe everybody at that time could have been in that particular uh, accident. I completely agree with you that uh, he was uh, a hard driver, but due to our investigation, I think he was um, no person who overstepped uh, overstepped uh, the lines, uh, the rules, uh, as for example, other famous drivers uh, later. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I completely agree. Uh, so yeah, we need to always make, you know, I think uh, there is always a danger to judge people from kind of today's view, right? There is an acceptable behavior today. Um, and uh, But back in the day, the reality was completely different. Yeah. And, you know, it was very real to go to a, you know, to go to a, a, a Formula One race uh, or any other race for that matter and not come back. 
yeah. so that was that was the reality of life and uh, we, while we are not kind of from the current um, you know it's always better it's always easy to be smart uh, in retrospect and say you know these these guys were kind of ruthless <laughs> yes, <laughs> ruthless, ruthless uh, you know win maximizers or something like this but yeah i mean this was the, this was the reality they lived in and it was yes, and, uh, uh, maybe one point i'm just uh, just thinking of i mean uh, we are speaking about uh, uh, he was famous uh, before and after the war and i mean all these drivers uh, they experienced the second world war so they they maybe all had been in uh, situations where they could have lost uh, the life um, at any point uh, being a soldier or um, experience uh, bombing, whatever. So they, I mean, all people at that time, uh, they experienced uh, the war, at least in, in Europe. So it, it was a situation where you could uh, lose your life uh, had been unfortunately a reality for them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, yeah, we just need to always um, understand that. And uh, again, we're not... Uh, we're not making a judgment here. We're just presenting, you know, the facts. So this was this was the figure. This was the the historical fact. He was like this, <laughs> and right. uh, yeah, and many uh, and uh, like uh, Patrick said, many of these drivers had to take these difficult decisions back in the day because uh, you know they just uh, it there was just no other alternative sometimes, and uh, it was the only rational thing to do. And in 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 those circumstances, and yeah, there were some really unfortunate. Um, incidents as a result of, you know, as a result of the, the state uh, of, of the world uh, back in the day. So I guess on this, on this note, uh, that that was a man of steel inside and out, um, we, will, we will end it here. And yeah, thank, thanks a lot for being with us today. Yeah, thanks a lot uh, and uh, stay with us. Thank you and see you thank later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you.